Let me restate this clearly. George Soros has been financing the collection and distribution of Russian collusion propaganda to all the major left-wing news outlets in America. Jussie Smollett, George Soros, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mr. Reagan. The charges against Jussie Smollett being dropped was a huge miscarriage of justice. Everybody, the whole country collectively shouted, what the heck? Pardon my language. How could something like this happen? This selfish, entitled, attention-seeking actor from Hollywood orchestrated a hoax that, if it had been successful, might have caused protests or riots. It could have caused violence against Trump supporters, and it would have encouraged a lot of people to vote against Donald Trump in the next election, potentially helping to sway American politics in a hugely significant way. And Jesse Smollett did this also he could look cool. A lot of people have speculated about the motivations of this guy. A lot of people think that it was an ideological effort to smear Trump supporters. I actually don't think so. I mentioned this in a previous video, but I think Jussie Smollett just wanted attention. Jussie Smollett was a child actor. He was treated like royalty by Hollywood since he was a young boy. He was in all kinds of movies and TV shows. Jussie Smollett is not a child of oppression. He was never marginalized for being black. He was never vilified for being gay. He exploits the historical victimization of others for his own benefit. He wears their suffering like a badge of honor as if he himself had endured it all personally. It feels like if I had said it was a Muslim or a Mexican or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more. A lot more. And that says a lot about the place that we are in our country right now. They called me a They called me a Make no mistakes, I will always continue to fight for the justice, equality, and betterment of marginalized people everywhere. The only suffering Jussie Smollett ever endured is not being quite as famous as he wanted. All right, now I have to interrupt to tell you about my sponsor, Virtual Shield, and I use this product. So what is Virtual Shield? Virtual Shield is a VPN. Watch what happens to my IP address when I turn on Virtual Shield. See it change? That is a random IP address. No one knows who I am. I am anonymous. If you care at all about your privacy, if you care about your wife's privacy, your daughter's privacy, your mom, your son, you will make sure that you get Virtual Shield. You know, Facebook collects all of your location history on your phone by default. Various apps and websites, your internet service provider, the U.S. government, foreign governments, and hackers all have access to your information. You need Virtual Shield VPN. We all do. This month, Virtual Shield is offering an Easter special of 40% off all VPN plans and all premium add-ons for as low as $3 per month. You also get the first 30 days free as a trial. And don't forget about Identisafe. And this is my favorite feature of Virtual Shield. With Identisafe, you can block your computer's microphone and camera from spies and hackers. For anybody who's paranoid about the government watching or listening in on your every move, Identisafe is for you. Virtual Shield VPN is one of the fastest and one of the easiest VPNs to use in the world. Protect your personal data now with a VPN. Go to www.virtualshield.com slash Mr. Reagan and get 40% off this month. The link is in the description. All right, now that I told you about that, let's get back to the video. One writer described Jesse Smollett's motivation as victimhood chic. Another wrote, there is nothing quite so glamorous for a gay black actor in Hollywood as being beaten up by two racist white guys. And as brutal as that sounds, I think it's actually true. Jussie Smollett grew up with an enormous amount of privilege. Privilege, the left's favorite attack word. 
Jussie Smollett grew up with wealth and fame and more things than any kid might dream of. He clearly thought that he was something special. But fame comes and fame goes. She is a fickle mistress, and we all know how child actors tend to turn out. There was a period in which Jussie Smollett seems to have fallen out of favor with Hollywood. He wasn't getting hired so much. It's at this time I suspect that Jussie Smollett lost his mind. Eventually, he landed the job on Empire and once again rose to prominence, at least with the audience of that show. This was clearly not enough for Jussie Smollett. Maybe he wanted the respect of the Hollywood elite. Maybe he wanted a bigger role on Empire. And maybe he wanted starring roles in other TV shows and movies. Whatever the case, he wanted to go from being an actor on Empire to a full-on Hollywood A-list hero. He staged the fight ahead of time. Okay, he, he discussed in his famous interview how he wanted to combat the perception of gay men as weak. You know, we live in a society where, as a gay man, you are considered somehow to be weak. And I'm not weak. I am not weak. And we, are, as a people, are not weak. I want them to see that I fought back. They ran off. I didn't. He insisted that he was not weak, and he said that he fought off his attackers. Presumably, if the camera that he staged the attack in front of was actually pointing at him as he had thought, then we would have seen quite a show. I imagine we would have seen Jesse Smollett heroically fighting off the first attacker, only finally succumbing to the assault when the second attacker joined in, and he was outnumbered by the black, racist, Nigerian Trump supporters. Fortunately for the world, Jesse Smollett is an idiot. He cannot properly plan or execute a hoax of this nature. And we are not in the dire situation that we would be had Smollett actually been good at pulling something like this off. The fact that he was willing to sacrifice Americans' perceptions of their fellow Americans so that he could become the gay black darling of Hollywood, the sinister plotting, planning, and the execution of this little fantasy must be punished by a fair and blind justice system. But we did not have a fair and blind justice system Prosecuting Jussie Smollett, we had this woman, Kim Fox. As I'm sure everybody knows by now, Kim Fox, the district attorney of Cook County, dropped all of the charges against Jussie Smollett and just let him walk. Why did she do that? Well, the reason that she did it is because she was contacted by this woman, Tina Chen. Tina Chen's text messages to Kim Fox were leaked to the press, so it looks like this woman pressured Kim Fox to drop the case. Who is Tina Chen? Tina Chen is good friends with Amy Rule. Amy Rule is the wife of Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Tina Chen was also the chief of staff for Michelle Obama. Remember, Michelle Obama is from Chicago. So Tina Chen is connected to very powerful people in Chicago. Also, Tina Chen is good friends with the Smollett family. Here's a fundraiser for Tina Chen's feminist organization, Time Out, where Tina Chen addressed her donors with Jussie Smollett's sister, Journey. All right! Hello, hello, everyone. Tina. This is so amazing. Thank you for having me here. Look at these beautiful people. Okay, so time's up. Time's up, team. Time's up. Time's up. Time's up. Hashtag time's up. We stand here linked, not ranked. Okay, so tell us, what's next? What's next? So what's next is, let's start with talking about the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. Yes. So what it looks like to me is that Tina Chen organized the dismissal of the Jussie Smollett case. Uh, Chicago is one of the few places that still has a political boss. What's a political boss? In the old days, cities in America had very powerful local politicians who anointed all the various other politicians within the town. They ran the political machine, as it was called. These political machines organized citizens to go vote and to vote in a particular way. 
These political machines and the bosses who ran them were notoriously corrupt. Historically, political bosses have been both Republican and Democrat, but the most famous bosses and the most corrupt bosses are notoriously Democrat. The most famous is certainly Boss Tweed of Tammany Hall in New York. Another famous political boss was Richard Daley in Chicago. The successor to Richard Daley is the man who is currently the political boss in Chicago, one of the last true political bosses in America. It's this man, Michael Madigan. If you want to be in politics in Chicago, you must have the blessing of Michael Madigan. Case in point, Michael Madigan's daughter, Lisa Madigan, was the Attorney General of Illinois for the last six years. So again, if you want to get into politics in Chicago, this is the guy to make you. Michael Madigan, Chicago's godfather. But Kim Fox was not anointed by Michael Madigan. In fact, no one in the Chicago political machine wanted Kim Fox to be the District Attorney of Cook County. Not even her mentor, the almost mayor of Chicago, Tony Preckwinkle. And yes, that is her real name. So if no one in Chicago was backing her, how did Kim Fox get the job? Kim Fox was anointed by this man, George Soros. George Soros was the single biggest donor to the Kim Fox campaign for district attorney of Cook County, $408,000 to be exact. Now, what is a billionaire doing financing the campaign of a district attorney in Chicago? Before I answer that question, I'd like to address the problem with talking about Soros at all. The name George Soros is often connected to conspiracy theories. And I will say this, throughout my research, I did find a few sources that were kind of sketchy. So for this video, I spent a lot of time parsing the research. I had to go through all of the accusations that I found and I would have to follow the research to its core and look at the raw data. And if there was something there, then I would include it in my re research. And if the accusations were too speculative or if I couldn't find the official documentation, I would not include it. And you would be surprised how much crazy sounding Soros stuff is 100% true. And one of the true things is the report that George Soros funded Kim Fox's campaign. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters for several reasons, but the thing that bothers me at the moment about Soros funding Kim Fox's campaign is that Kim Fox is weak and unqualified. She's a DA who is subject to the influence of important people. Usually, all that campaign funding buys the funder is access. But as we've seen with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if the politician who's being elected is unqualified for the job, then they may be susceptible to more influence than is typical. A lot more. In the case of Kim Fox, not only does she appear to me to be underqualified and unsuited for the job, but also... She does not seem to be a person who has the courage of her convictions. She does not have the strength to stand up to powerful people in order to do her job fairly and ethically. Now, I have looked into Kim Fox quite a bit, and I can say this. I like her. I think she's a very good person. One thing that I'm particularly impressed by is that she's gone after a lot of wrongfully convicted prisoners. She's gotten their cases overturned and they were released from prison. I think that's an incredibly noble thing to have done. She has also publicly encouraged the victims of R. Kelly to come forward so that R. Kelly can be better prosecuted. These are great things. She doesn't seem to be particularly friendly with the police force, but... I don't actually think that's a bad thing. I have discussed this case with some of my police friends, and from what I understand, the Chicago police system is one of the most corrupt in the country. I know policing is dangerous and officers need to be given a lot of discretion, but I absolutely believe in accountability for police officers. So I do think that we need somebody in the DA's office who can hold them accountable. That said, as much as I like Kim Fox's intentions, she does not appear to be the right person for the job. So now you might be thinking, did the charges being dropped in the Jesse Smollett case have something to do with George Soros? No, George Soros had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with Tina Chen. However, 
If you have a third party, and that third party wants their own agenda pushed, and they're financing the candidacies of our local elected officials, we will not get the best people in office. We're going to get people who are vulnerable to pressure and easily influenced. In the case of Kim Fox, it was not the party that financed her that was able to wield influence over her, but rather it was another powerful person, the well-connected Tina Chen. I don't blame Kim Fox for what happened in the Jussie Smollett case. I feel bad for Kim Fox. I feel like Kim Fox has been used as a pawn by outside powerful forces that have led to this dramatic miscarriage of justice. And you might say, well, this is Chicago. It's not every town in America. This is just one incident. This isn't that big of a deal. Well, that's not quite right. All over the country, George Soros is funding the campaigns of other district attorneys. If you saw my follow-up video to the brains behind AOC, you'll know that there is an organization called Real Justice, whose aim is to replace all the district attorneys in America with far-left progressives. What I didn't tell you in that video, and what I, I didn't know at the time, was that the woman who started that organization, Becky Bond, a woman connected to Zach Exley and the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez stuff, is also one of George Soros's people. Not only that, but George Soros has another guy, a guy by the name of James Rucker, who started another organization called The Color of Change, which also is dedicated to putting radical leftists into district attorney positions. Furthermore, George Soros has directly contributed money to district attorney campaigns across the country, campaigns not associated with these other groups. We are uncovering new information about state attorney Aramis Ayala and her controversial decision to not seek the death penalty in any case. Under my administration, I will not be seeking death penalty. In a text message, Ayala wrote, trying to handle damage control right now. Victims' families don't know. My office doesn't know. The state attorney said she needed help with the Soros question. Ayala was presumably referring to liberal billionaire George Soros, who donated $1.4 million to help her campaign. Earlier today, I asked Ayala's office why the state attorney would need an anti-death penalty organization to help her answer questions about George Soros. We have not yet received a response. In truth, I couldn't find all of the district attorney campaigns across the country who were supported by George Soros because George Soros funnels money through such a complicated network of nonprofit organizations and businesses that it becomes impossible to follow all of the money. What is the out-of-state billionaire funding Noah Phillips' campaign not telling us? That Phillips has been accused of prosecutorial misconduct for cutting a secret deal with a murder defendant? That he could be charged with a felony and lose his ability to practice law? Or that Noah Phillips supports reducing punishment for sex crimes and human trafficking? Noah Phillips, unethical, dangerous, wrong for DA. And these district attorneys are not benign. They are usually black or Hispanic, and they're chosen specifically to reduce the severity of prosecutions against black and Hispanic criminals. They're basing this openly racist idea on a fundamental misapprehension of American culture, which pervades the left. The idea is that the criminal justice system is inherently racist, that white people are racist. So if white people are racist and the criminal justice system is racist, then something needs to be done to balance this. This needs to be fixed. Now, I'm convinced that these district attorneys and Soros himself all genuinely believe that this is true. And in this sense, I think that they're actually trying to do some good in the world. But oftentimes, as the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. White people are demonstrably the least racist people in the world. We are, in fact, the only culture, white culture, 
that considers racism as a kind of evil. Travel anywhere else in the world. Go to Asia or South America or the Middle East or Africa, and you'll discover that racism is normal. What are they saying? They say, Honduras. We don't want those motherfuckers here. That's really? what they said. It is considered a natural part of every culture, except white culture. We are the only culture to demonize racism, as well we should. But, you know, you don't even have to go overseas. Just go to a Mexican neighborhood or a black neighborhood or a Muslim immigrant community. You'll find that within most of these subcultures in America, racism against black people is totally normal, or Hispanics, or racism against Muslims, or Asians, or Jews. And especially racism against white people is perfectly normal. The attempts to install mostly black or Hispanic district attorneys who have a philosophy to specifically help black and Hispanic criminal suspects is an inherently racist endeavor. Aramis Ayala, Democrat running for state attorney, believes in one standard of justice for all. Only Aramis Ayala can bridge the gap between the community and the criminal justice system with the plan to remove bias so defendants charged with the same crime receive the same treatment, no matter their background or race. The ads that are being produced to support these candidates say that they want equal justice under the law. In reality, they're creating a court system which will be so soft on crime that it will undermine its own authority. If criminals know that certain crimes are not being prosecuted, they will feel emboldened to commit those crimes, knowing that there will be no consequences. And if you think I'm exaggerating, just look at what happened with this Soros-funded district attorney, Robert Schuler Smith, in Hines County, Mississippi. According to the Clarion Ledger, Smith was arrested Wednesday following a joint investigation by the Attorney General's office and the FBI into allegations that the DA had illegally advised or defended individuals charged with crimes. Uh, one instance regarded a man named Christopher Butler, who had been charged with embezzlement, wire fraud, and possession of a controlled substance. The Soros-funded DA, Robert Schuler smith had allegedly given uh, Christopher Butler's attorney, Stanford Knott, a letter that outlined ways to attack the state's case against Butler. Of Hines County District Attorney Robert Schuler smith continues today after a jury is selected. Smith stands accused of conspiring to hinder the prosecution of criminal defendant Christopher Butler. And now, this Soros-funded DA, Robert Schuler smith is now running for governor of Mississippi. Governor. County District Attorney Robert Schuler smith is running for governor. Another example is Soros-sponsored DA Rachel Collins. According to the Gateway Pundit, the far-left district attorney announced new orders for police officers who are no longer allowed... <laughs> This is crazy. Who are no longer allowed to arrest people for shoplifting, for breaking and entering, for destruction of property or vandalism, for resisting arrest, for disturbing the peace, and for drug offenses. <laughs> she also ordered police to refuse access to ICE officials for the arrest of any illegals in courthouses, no matter the crime. Now, a prosecutor who is sympathetic to the defendants that he or she is prosecuting sounds all warm and fuzzy. The 13-year-old girl inside me loves this idea. A world in which everybody loves everybody, no matter what horrific crime they committed? OMG, that's just too cute. I mean, after all, as Nancy Pelosi reminds us, these criminals are people too. When the President of the United States says about undocumented immigrants, these aren't people, these are animals. You have to wonder every day that you think you've seen it all. Along comes another manifestation of why their policies are so inhumane. But warm and fuzzy isn't always the most effective solution. Criminal prosecutors need to be tough on crime. They need to put all their energy and focus into prosecuting criminals. Why? Because there is something called 
a criminal defense attorney. And that person's job is to put all their energy and focus into defending the accused. The way the system works is that you have one side trying to prove the defendant committed the crime and the other side trying to show that the defendant did not commit the crime. If you have a criminal defense attorney and a prosecutor both defending the accused, who's going to appropriately present the case against the accused? No one. There is no one to do that. District attorneys, prosecutors exist in order to protect the public from criminals. They do not exist to defend criminals against the government. The government is a tool that we use to ensure the rule of law in America. By inserting all of these radical left, soft on crime prosecutors, George Soros is undermining the fundamental philosophy behind our criminal justice system. But Soros's ambitions are far bigger and far more sinister. George Soros funds candidates for office in almost every level of government. He's famous for trying to help get Hillary Clinton elected, but he also contributes to a mind-boggling number of candidates for Congress. You've probably seen my video accusing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of being a puppet for Saikat Chakrabarti and in turn for the mastermind Zach Exley. But Zach Exley is only the Darth Vader of this story. The emperor is George Soros. Zach Exley started his political activism as something that might be described as a cyber terrorist. This is how he got onto George Soros' radar, and Soros installed him as the first organizing director of MoveOn.org. Glenn Beck first pointed this out back in 2010 in his series about George Soros entitled The Puppet Master. Who had they tapped for the executive director of MoveOn.org? This guy, Zach Exley. I've never heard of him before. Do you know who he is? Well, he previously had trained activists for the anarchist group, the Ruckus Society. These are the riots in Seattle, helped orchestrate by this guy. He's also a blogger for the Huffington Post, which is interesting because the Huffington Post gets money from George Soros. Oh, and he's also a fellow with the George Soros Open Society Institute. Glenn Beck might be a genius. This was 2010. Glenn Beck sacrificed his job at Fox News for this series. Powerful people don't like to be attacked. I'm grateful to Glenn Beck for the sacrifice. The series is incredible. I highly recommend that everybody look it up and watch it. I also recommend subscribing to The Blaze, which is Glenn Beck's platform. Back to Zach Exley. As well as working at MoveOn.org, Zach Exley also became a fellow at the Open Society Foundation. The Open Society Foundation is Soros's baby. It's his Open Borders nonprofit. Anytime you hear the Open Society Foundation, it's more or less the same as hearing George Soros. That's his primary organization. It's the one that funds almost all of the others. Eventually, Zach started Brand New Congress and the Justice Democrats working with Saikat Chakrabarti to get the puppet, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, elected to Congress along with others. Make no mistake, Zach Exley is one of Soros' top guys, and he has access to various other Soros-funded organizations. The Sunrise Movement, who helped Saikat Chakrabarti and Zach Exley draft the Green New Deal, they're also funded by George Soros. Side note, Zach Exley has recently gone to the UK with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in order to pitch the Green New Deal to the Labour Party across the pond. The Labour Party, unsurprisingly, embraced the radical socialist agenda. At the same time, George Soros has created an enormous anti-Brexit campaign. This guy can't seem to stop trying to influence major world governments. Now, George Soros-funded candidates don't always win, but when they do, that's another person that George Soros has access to in the chambers of our government. 
And you might think, well, George Soros isn't necessarily looking to control these people. Rather, he just wants people in office who align with his political ideology. No, he absolutely wants influence. He wants control. George Soros, in his own words. Getting elected is expensive, and representatives are beholden to their supporters. Those who don't play, who don't play the game, uh, don't get elected. I would have liked to influence policy, and I tried. I tried to get to Bush before he met Gorbachev in Malta, which I thought was the last time, really, to change the direction from the outside. Mm. I was unable to do that. So I, I think that I've succeeded in everything, not everything, but in most of the things that I could do on my own. And I failed in influencing uh, the uh, policy. But today, Strobe Talbot is the principal, the deputy secretary of state, mm -hmm. is the principal architect of our policy towards Russia. Yes. 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 You have, he listens to you. He does. He does. So you he, have influence yes. on the part yeah. of the principal policymaker, not only towards Russia, but towards yeah. Eastern Europe. Yes. George Soros also told the New York Times that Barack Obama was his greatest disappointment because he didn't have more influence over him. Now, why is George Soros doing this? Why does he want all this influence in politics? Does he have some kind of megalomaniacal plan for world domination? <laughs> I'll let you decide. And let me just say that I don't think that George Soros will ever accomplish his ultimate goals. I believe that the United States government, the checks and balances that we have here, are too robust. And the people of the United States of America, especially those of us on the right, we, we value our freedom too much to ever let somebody like George Soros fulfill his ultimate plan. Now, oftentimes when we think of a Bond villain, we think of a character like Blofeld, the head of Spectre, sitting in his lair, stroking a white cat. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. I don't know if that's a fair characterization of George Soros. I don't know how much he likes cats. I think George Soros' primary goal is power. He's trying to influence every U.S. presidential election since 2003 when he characterized his attempts at ousting then-President George W. Bush as the central focus of my life. I believe Soros' aim before he dies is to become the most powerful man in the world, more powerful than Putin, more powerful than the President of the United States of America. An argument can also be made that the Pope is the most powerful man on earth. Here, too, Soros has made serious efforts to manipulate the Pope himself. These have been revealed by WikiLeaks documents. Manipulating and exploiting people and politics and currencies seems to be George Soros' favorite game. George Soros first became famous for destroying the value of the British pound in a single day and making $1 billion in the process. Because of this, he became known as the man who broke the Bank of England. And this has essentially been George Soros' job since the 1980s. He speculates on the values of commodities and currencies and businesses and land and whatever else might have value. He buys and sells these things, and he hopes to make some kind of a profit doing so. And he does make a profit. He makes enormous profits. Some people think that he is the best speculator in the world. One might even call him a genius. The problem is that George Soros has a Machiavellian philosophy of the ends justify the means. Essentially, George Soros believes that no matter how much suffering he causes through his currency manipulations or financial dealings, it's all justified because he believes that he himself is a good person. I am basically there to, uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences. Of what I do. George Soros has devalued the currency or supported revolutions that managed to overthrow the government 
in the UK, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, Serbia, Ukraine, Georgia, Malaysia, South Korea, Indonesia, and Thailand. And he has attempted to devalue the currencies or overthrow several other governments as well, including Russia and Hong Kong. After Soros destabilizes a nation, he often installs his own people in the new government. This secures his influence in the country and helps him to manipulate both the social policies of the nation as well as the international policy, the overall economy, and the value of the currency. The more control Soros has, the more money he can make and the more of his vision he can realize. George Soros once told a reporter just right that the former Soviet empire is now the Soros empire. Soros makes huge bets on whole countries and economies. Last year, when he saw cracks in the Asia boom, he began selling the currency in Thailand. Traders in Hong Kong followed suit, triggering a financial crisis that plunged much of Asia into a depression. In the last two years, you've been blamed for financial collapse of Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, and Russia. All of the, all of the above. That's, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. What's it like to have a statement that you make have such serious, grievous consequences? I mean, you can, it, it looks to me like in a number of situations, you can take a position against a currency or make a statement, and the whole country falls apart. Well, it's a tremendous sense of responsibility, actually. Russia is actually so concerned about Soros' influence that they have actually banned Soros from their country. Soros is not allowed to own businesses in Russia, and none of his nonprofit organizations are legally allowed to function there. Soros destabilizes governments and devalues currencies through a variety of investment strategies. He then makes billions on these massive market fluctuations. Speculators only make money when markets move. They also lose money when markets move. This is what makes speculation so risky. Inside information mitigates this risk, but what's even better than inside information? Causing the fluctuations yourself. Soros is one of the few financial players in the world who has the power to move markets himself. And what's the biggest market of all? The U.S. market. If he can destroy the value of the U.S. dollar in a day like he did with the British pound, he will make a fortune. He can then buy up devalued businesses, land, commodities, and various assets at next to nothing. When the economy comes back, he will again make a fortune. But this is not just business for Soros. This is philosophical. Soros considers himself, first and foremost, a philosopher. I have to confess, I, I also harbored uh, some fantasies of, become, of becoming an important philosopher. I felt as if I were in possession of a major discovery that would enable me to fulfill my fantasy of becoming an important philosopher. Soros's primary philosophy? Open society. What is open society? It's a philosophy developed by this guy, Karl Popper. Karl Popper was actually a brilliant man. I haven't read up enough on him, but a lot of what I've read, I agree with. However, what Soros means by open society and what Popper meant are two very different things. Karl Popper's open society consisted of two primary elements, a transparent government and a well-informed and discerning electorate. I like both of those things. By open society, what George Soros means is open borders. In 2015, there was a migrant crisis in Western Europe that persists to this day. Muslim refugees from the Middle East and Africa flooded into Europe. This flood of Muslim refugees was engineered by George Soros. In the shadow of the 2008 recession, Angela Merkel felt she had to do something. Eventually, she adopted a plan. 
It was known as the Merkel Plan. The architect of this plan was Gerald Naus. Gerald Naus was a fellow at the Open Society Foundation, George Soros's organization. The changes implemented through the Merkel Plan facilitated the flood of Muslim immigrants into Europe and resulted in terrorist attacks and a surge in violent crime throughout Western Europe. During the New Year's celebrations in 2016, 1,200 women were sexually assaulted by immigrant men. In the Nordic countries, the situation is particularly bad. Smashed windows, cars on fire, one of Europe's most peaceful capitals, Stockholm, now witnessing its worst outbreak of violence in years. Rape, murder, and other crime is up all throughout Western Europe because of these immigrants, particularly in Germany and Scandinavia. Flooding a country with culturally distinct immigrants, some of whom are prone to culturally encouraged violence, is a destabilizing phenomenon for any nation but particularly those with a generous welfare program. The idea that these poor people from one country will flourish in a wealthier country is merely hopeful. It's not rational. The European immigrants are almost all on welfare. Over half of all immigrants in the U.S. are on welfare. Generous welfare programs can have a catastrophically destabilizing effect on a country. This was recognized in the 1960s when Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven wrote their famous article in The Nation entitled The Weight of the Poor, A Strategy to End Poverty. Their strategy was to overwhelm the welfare system in order to collapse it so that the state would have to shift to a universal guaranteed income. Within the article, they wrote this. It is our purpose to advance a strategy which affords the basis for a convergence of civil rights organizations, militant anti-poverty groups, and the poor. If this strategy were implemented, a political crisis would result that could lead to legislation for a guaranteed annual income and thus an end to poverty. By the collapse of current financing arrangements, powerful forces can be generated for major economic reforms at a national level. As the crisis develops, it will be important to use the mass media to inform the broader liberal community about the inefficiencies and injustices of welfare. The strategy works like this. Organize the masses. Use them to overwhelm the system. Manufacture a crisis. Use the media to disseminate radical propaganda that claims to solve the crisis. And then pressure politicians to adopt the radical new policies. Remember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal? Quote, economic security for all those who are unwilling to work? It looks like the left strategy of manufacturing crises that force radical legislative change is still alive and well. Manufacturing crises seems to be Soros' favorite game. Richard Cloward and Francis Piven's strategy was to overwhelm the welfare system with citizens applying for welfare. The new strategy seems to be import new welfare recipients from other countries. If manufacturing a crisis in the United States is your aim, importing poor people from around the globe is a great strategy. If improving the lives of those poor people around the globe is your aim, then helping them where they are is the only effective strategy. This gumball represents the one million legal immigrants that the United States has taken every year on average since 1990. And how many people make less than $2 a day in the world? Well, we'll start with Africa, 650 million. And in India, another 890 million people. China adds another 480 million people. The rest of Asia has a heartbreaking 810 million people who the World Bank say make less than $2 a day. 5.6 billion people in the world who live in countries 
with average incomes below that of Mexico. And every year, we take a million and suggest that we've somehow made a humanitarian difference. Last year, when we took one million immigrants, these countries added 80 million more people into the impoverished population. Immigration can never be an effective or significant way to deal with the suffering people of the world. The only place that 99.9% of these people can be helped is where they live. Let's help them there. And you might think, well, maybe Soros just really likes poor black people or poor uh, people who are not white. Because, I mean, I've never heard of Soros helping any group that helps poor white people anywhere in the world ever, except the people in Kosovo who are Muslim. I mean, he seems to be trying to give poor Muslims and Hispanics and black people, all poor non-white people, a better life by funneling them into Europe and the U.S., right? So... Maybe he's being seriously, genuinely benevolent. And for a while, I really thought this. And I, I think there is a bit of that. And I'll, I'll talk about it at the end of the video. But then it struck me. Who are the most likely people to cause disruptive activities, protests, and riots to destabilize a nation? It's the people who believe they are being oppressed. Who in the Western world, Europe, and the United States, which groups in these regions tend to believe they are being oppressed? Ethnic minorities, feminists... LGBT, the poor, immigrants, all the people that George Soros finances. Now, if you want to cause disruption in a region, you need more of these kinds of people. Well, there isn't a huge pool of lesbians that you can draw from, but there are immigrants. The whole world is full of them if you can just convince people to immigrate. And in their adopted countries, they will be ethnic minorities, and some of them will be women. Some might even be gay. And you might be saying, well, that's extremely cynical. But... Allow me to read again from Cloward and Piven's 1966 article. The national democratic leadership is alert to the importance of the urban Negro vote, especially in national contests. Indeed, many of the legislative reforms of the Great Society can be understood as efforts to reinforce the allegiance of growing ghetto constituencies to the National Democratic Administration. Those seeking new ways to engage the Negro politically should remember that public resources have always been the fuel for low-income urban political organization. If organizers can deliver millions of dollars in cash benefits to the ghetto masses, it seems reasonable to expect that the masses will deliver their loyalties to their benefactors. At least, they have always done so in the past. Basically, they're saying, if we Democrats give black people money, they will vote for us. That's what they're saying here. It's a rare moment of raw honesty from Democrats. I suspect that no Democrat today would dare say something this honest, but the Democrats have expanded this. It's no longer the black vote that they're buying. It's the women vote and the LGBT vote and the environmentalist vote and the immigrant vote. And they can leverage these groups towards civil unrest if they can convince them that they are oppressed, use them for protests and riots, etc. They can use them to turn public opinion toward their radical ideas. So we've established that Soros destabilizes governments and devalues currencies, making billions in the process. He installs his own people into government positions. Here is the five-step strategy from Richard Poe. 
Well, this is, these are the five steps. We call them five steps for overthrowing a government. One, form a shadow government. A shadow government is he infiltrates a country with his own operatives, putting them in all levels of life, in politics, in medicine, in academia, in journalism. Two, control the media. They always start some kind of uh, media operation, which is under Soros's ownership or direct control in one way or another. Three, destabilize the state through economic crises. Step three is to destabilize the state, which can be done by causing an economic crisis or perhaps taking advantage of an existing crisis that just happens along. Four, provoke an election. Step four is to provoke an election crisis. Five, stage demonstrations and accuse the state of voter fraud. He has street activists who go out in the street mm-hmm. and uh, create a big ruckus, okay. saying the he, election's being stolen. He uses his controlled radio or TV stations to blast this message around mm-hmm. the country. He declares that the election is fraudulent, that, that the opposite side, the, the, his opponents are stealing the election. In order to better understand this, I recommend you watch everything Glenn Beck has done on this topic and to read the book The Shadow Party by David Horowitz and Richard Poe. So, is Soros trying to do any of this in America? Absolutely. Soros has established a shadow government. It's called the Democratic Party. I'll show you in a moment how Soros has managed to control the media. But for now, let's focus on destabilization, provoking crises, and staging demonstrations. This is merely a modification and expansion of the Cloward-Piven strategy. Create crises to force radical change. Soros absolutely funds protesters and riots and other destabilizing forces in America. He famously funded the Black Lives Matter movement, which directly led, by the way, to the election of Kim Fox, the Jussie Smollett DA who dropped all the charges against him. Soros also funded a lot of the organizations that supported the Occupy Wall Street protests, as well as the Berkeley riots against Milo Yiannopoulos. Even more concerning, however, is that Soros funded the immigrant caravans that have come up from Central America over the past two years. Soros' Open Society funds the National Immigration Forum, which in turn funds Centro Sin Fronteras. Centro Sin Fronteras is the parent organization of La Familia Latina Unita. La Familia Latina Unita runs Pueblo Sin Fronteras. Pueblo Sin Fronteras is the official organizer of the immigrant caravans. This is all from an article by Patrick Howley in Big League Politics. There are a variety of other big money sources that went into the caravan effort, but the fact that money from Soros, the man who manufactured the European migrant crisis, has gone to organize caravans, that's deeply concerning. So Soros funded Black Lives Matter, Berkeley riots, Occupy Wall Street, and the migrant caravan. It looks a lot like George Soros is intentionally financing highly disruptive forces in this country. And this disruptive financing clearly has a real effect. One effect was the election of Kim Fox, a candidate who was funded by Soros. And this led to Smollett's charges being dropped. It's a small effect, but it's a dramatic one. It's a perfect illustration of the effect of these outside influences meddling in U.S. politics. The politicians elected to represent and protect Americans must be primarily beholden to the citizens of their city, their state, and to this country. Their primary concern should not be the benefit of George Soros or Tina Chen or Jussie Smollett. So we've got a problem with Soros infiltrating every area of the U.S. government that he possibly can. We've got a problem with Soros funding destabilizing forces throughout the country. Do we also have a problem with Soros infiltrating the U.S. media with propaganda? Yes, 
Yes, we do. Soros and a few of his billionaire buddies fund an organization called the Democracy Integrity Project. What is the Democracy Integrity Project? It sounds so dignified. Democracy, integrity. From everything I could figure out, this organization was created for the sole purpose of collecting and distributing Trump, Russia collusion, propaganda. No joke. The Democracy Integrity Project provides daily research briefings five days a week to the New York Times, the Washington Post, BuzzFeed, ProPublica, CNN, MSNBC, and a variety of other news outlets. And here's the kicker. The Democracy Integrity Project paid Fusion GPS $3.3 million, presumably to continue to dig up dirt on Trump for their disinformation campaign. They also paid Christopher Steele, the author of the fake dossier, $250,000, presumably, for the same purpose. Let me restate this clearly. George Soros has been financing the collection and distribution of Russian collusion propaganda to all the major left-wing news outlets in America. And for those of you who are skeptical, I did not merely take this out of a right-wing conspiracy website. This was reported in the New York Times. An article defending George Soros, by the way. Allow me to read from the article. George Soros' representatives say he gave $1 million to one such group, the Democracy Integrity Project, which was established after the 2016 election to investigate foreign interference in elections and to research Mr. Trump's connections to Russian interests. Mr. Soros is considering additional donations to the group, which has paid for research from Fusion GPS, the firm behind the controversial dossier containing salacious claims about Mr. Trump's ties to Russia. The very scale of his activities has given Republicans an opening to portray him as a nefarious driving force behind divisive political conflicts. It hasn't given Republicans an opening to portray him as a nefarious driving force behind political conflicts. He is a driving force behind divisive political conflicts. How dare we portray him exactly as he is? So what's the end game? I believe that Soros' goal is to become the most powerful man in the world. I believe he aims to do this through influence, manipulation, and control over world leaders and various other politicians. He was quoted by biographer Michael Kaufman as saying that his goal is to become the conscience of the world. From NPR News, I'm Steve Inskeep. The billionaire George Soros once told a biographer that he wanted to be the conscience of the world. Yes, I did say that, and actually I stand by it. I think the world very much needs a conscience. I want my foundation network to be the conscience of the world. Forget the Christian ethic. Soros believes in Sorosian morality. And what is Sorosian morality? Is he moral at all? I think there is a bit of morality there, but I think he's adopted his morality straight out of the U.S. Democratic political platform. The morality of the Democrats is simple. They want to feel like they're the good guys. They're the white knights. They're the great saviors of the world. In order to be a savior, you need a victim to save, though. And for there to be a victim, there must be a villain. So who do we choose? Well, at various points down the line, blacks, Hispanics, Muslims, immigrants, women, and the LGBT community were all singled out as oppressed groups, victims. The oppressors, variously white people, men, and Christians. And so here you have a very attractive dichotomy. You have the evil, straight, white Christian male, and you have the angelic victims. Everybody else. Never mind that some kid growing up in the Ozarks has three teeth left and is perpetually filthy and is never going to get a proper education. And never mind that lots of black kids and gay kids and women grow up hugely privileged, the Jussie Smollett's of the world, for instance. Never mind any of that, because this kid's white and straight and Christian and a boy. 
He doesn't deserve our help. He doesn't deserve our sympathy. He's the enemy. He is to be condemned for his gender and his race and his sexuality and his religion. I believe that George Soros needed to adopt a morality in which his messianic fantasies could be fulfilled. This black and white villain and victim delusion about the world gave him that morality. In his book, Underwriting Democracy, Soros wrote, If truth be known, I carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, which I felt I had to control, otherwise they might get me into trouble. And in his book, The Alchemy of Finance, Soros wrote, It will come as no surprise to the reader when I admit that I have always harbored an exaggerated view of my self-importance. To put it bluntly, I fancied myself as some kind of a god. My sense of reality was strong enough to make me realize that these expectations were excessive, and I kept them hidden as a guilty secret. As I made my way in the world, reality came close enough to fantasy to allow me to admit my secret, at least to myself. And he has since elaborated on that. He said, it's a sort of disease when you consider yourself a kind of a god, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. In 1944, Soros told the New York Times, I'm sort of a deus ex machina. I am something unnatural. I'm very comfortable with my public persona because it's one that I've created for myself. It represents what I like to be as distinct from what I really am. You know, in my personal capacity, I'm not actually a selfless, philanthropic person. I'm very much self-centered. So Soros has a God complex, messianic fantasies. Whatever these fantasies are, they're not about being the savior of the Jews. In 2016, hackers at DC Leaks released thousands of documents from Open Society Foundation, George Soros' nonprofit. Hackers have leaked over 2,000 documents linked to billionaire George Soros. One of the leaked documents from Open Society Foundation indicated that they had taken a pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli position, but they wanted to keep that a secret. And so they fund some pro-Israel nonprofits purely to keep up the appearance of impartiality. They wrote, For a variety of reasons, we wanted to construct a diversified portfolio of grants dealing with Israel and Palestine, and in all cases to maintain a low profile and relative distance, particularly on the advocacy front. It goes into greater depth, but essentially they're trying to hide the fact that they're pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel. Soros has referred to his mother as a, quote, typical Jewish anti-Semite, and he has said that he grew up in a Jewish anti-Semitic home, and that his family were uncomfortable with their religious roots. For those of you who view any criticism of George Soros as anti-Semitic, I would argue Soros is not Jewish. He is an avowed atheist who funnels millions of dollars into anti-Israeli organizations. He's not Jewish. He is an atheist, and atheism goes hand in hand with the rest of his philosophy. His father spoke Esperanto, a language invented in order to unify the world. It was supposed to be a universal language that could be spoken throughout the world regardless of culture or national borders. To believe that such a language could be artificially introduced into the world and expect that it would be willingly adopted is the same kind of delusion that might lead somebody to believe that their own morality could be artificially introduced to the world and expect that it would be willingly adopted. Soros was taught by his father to speak Esperanto, and he speaks it to this day. Soros believes in the artificial spread of ideas, social engineering, because his father believed in it. Well, I've got a couple of words of wisdom for George Soros. There is a language that has been adopted by the whole world. It was not artificially introduced. There was no social engineering involved. It was spread naturally. The consequence of culture and business and technological advancement It's another language you speak, George Soros. English. 
And there's a universal morality in place as well, one that has been adopted by two billion people, about a, a third of the world population, and it's ever-growing. Christianity. For anyone who is still not convinced that George Soros is a threat to America, keep in mind that Soros, in his book The Age of Fallibility, wrote, The main obstacle to a stable and just world order is the United States. We cannot allow billionaires with God complexes to decide who wins elections here in our country. That includes more than just George Soros. There's a lot of these guys. Mike Bloomberg, Tom Steyer, Donald Sussman, and about a gazillion guys out in Silicon Valley. If we allow these men to decide the fate of our country, we will get more people like AOC. We will get more people like Kim Fox. Sure, they satisfy the morality of the left. They're not men, and they're not white. But they're also not qualified. And they're subject to the manipulation of powerful people. And they do things that are harmful to the country, like refusing to prosecute Jussie Smollett because he's better than the rest of us. Sure, he, he grew up with money and fame, but he's black and he's gay and he's famous. He shouldn't really have to pay for his crimes, right? Wrong. Jussie Smollett should be in jail. Kim Fox should be out of a job. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and half of Congress should be voted out in the next few election cycles. Let's make America great again. Well, that's it for me. If you like this video, hit the like button. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, you are undoubtedly George Soros. A quick message for George. I don't necessarily think you're a bad guy. I'm an optimist. I'd like to see the good in everyone. If I knew you in person, I would hope that we would be friends. But I think your open borders efforts are disastrous. I think many of the rapes and murders throughout Europe in the past few years are a direct result of your efforts. And I think that you need to reconsider the morality that you have adopted. I hope that the main obstacle to a stable and just world order is the United States. We don't need a one world order. We just need the various cultures of the world to respect one another. Disregarding the sovereignty of national borders is the definition of disrespect. The United States is the closest thing to an open society this world has ever seen. The United States is the greatest country in the history of the world. Good night. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. President, in talking about the continuing recession tonight, you have blamed mistakes of the past, and you blame the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. <laughs>